Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes. We hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us a behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you, man. Let's get going. Man, let's let's talk let's about go. this this game here. First, let's I want to remove all context from this game and all all of the external variables that impacted this game and get an understanding of what the actual impact is because this isn't the first windy game ever played in (laughs) college football and the way that some of the people especially the commentators were acting was as if this was the first and only uh game uh in this scenario but yes we were dealing with 50 mile per hour winds but this was also a tragically poorly executed game <laughs> and i think why do why do i feel like i'm going to the doctor right now when i'm waiting for <laughs> waiting for zach's opinion on this <laughs> um so zach what i would like you to do is give give context obviously it's much harder to play into the wind than against the wind but there was a lot more going on in this game than than just the conditions yeah, there was. And, you know, I watched a, a clip of Noah Ruggles in pregame trying to kick a 40-yard field goal, and the ball was, I mean, headed right down the middle of the uprights. It hit the goal line, and it like it hit a wall and just stopped and fell down straight to the ground. And so you knew there was going to be some struggles through the air, and that was the big narrative that the announcers wanted to spin. Even Ryan Day in his press conference wanted to talk about. But when I watched the game film, C.J. Stroud had two throws where you said, I, it looks like the wind affected that. And it was mostly when you throw those higher trajectory throws that get up in the wind, right? Every other throw he made, he, he pretty much dotted everybody up. I mean, he yeah. was accurate. So I didn't think it was as much a, of an inability to throw it because of wind. It was that the G. Scott had a, or G. Scott had a drop. Cade Stover had a drop. Ameka Ibuka had a drop. Julian Fleming had four drops. Like it, was, it wasn't the throwing part of it. It was the catching part. And... I heard it all, right? It was the rain, wet gloves, all this other stuff. The problem I have is Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't have a drop. <laughs> he caught everything. It was like, eh, you, can't, you can't really say that for one guy and not yeah. another. And to be fair to Julian Fleming, he looked very, very uncomfortable and lacked, completely lacked confidence catching the ball. Like his, his hand positions were weird. Like you could tell he was nervous that he was going to drop it every time. And he almost did every single time. Yeah. Um, so that, that, you know, that, there's, there's something to be learned there. Like, Julian Fleming has not had drop problems per se. So as long as it doesn't rain on the Saturday <laughs> after Thanksgiving, he should be fine. If it does, watch out, I yeah. guess. Because <laughs> like you said, V, it's not like we, people haven't played in the rain yeah. before. I mean, you have to be able to play in the rain. That's yeah. part of it, right? It was right? honestly like the most like nerve-wracking thing to watch too because it was like you. we have this team that literally everyone wants to talk about how unstoppable our offense is. And our offense looked like terrified to play during this game. Like, what? What is that? Where does that even come from? Because that's not a that's not an Ohio State team I've seen before. Well, I mean, I think you know, it's, 
with hindsight and, and kind of swallowing the pill that it was a bad game for Ohio State, right? You, we learned a couple things, some good, some bad. One is when need be, CJ Stroud will put the team on his back and he will run the football. Yeah. I mean, he ran the ball for more yards than he threw it. This is a kid Vic, that, you call I mean, him. averages negative <laughs> CJ Vic. Yeah, yeah. CJ Vic, he averages negative seven yards a game. And he ran for like 78 or something crazy. When I saw your tweet, Zach, when you when you said that. <laughs> Bro, I'm like sitting here like you should you should have seen me watching it. I was <laughs> I was at Bridge Park in Dublin with my two kids and Justine. And he ran the ball, and I'm like screaming. I'm like, "Who is this man? Yeah. Like, what is this?" And you saw a stark contrast, like because the thing is, is as a fan, you were very frustrated with the narrative up to this point about CJ's concerns. Why isn't he running? Is the question. And then when you saw that play where he's yeah. running for the first down, and it looked like he was scared to take a hit, and actually got stopped short of the first down. Um, it was reviewed, obviously. That play kind of was like the highlight that was like, okay, we're in trouble here. If CJ, considering the conditions, considering the receivers are dropping the ball, considering we're going against the win half the game, we need CJ to be able to run the ball. Also with Travion Hurt, it was really good to see that really pick up in the second half and him and Mayan Williams really take control of the game. But I think, you know, one of the things that's kind of frustrating for me sometimes when I listen to a lot of like armchair fans is, Pat Fitzgerald didn't forget how to coach overnight. Yeah, he doesn't have the talent. He doesn't have the team. But this is a guy who has proven time and time again that you put him in the right situation where coaching actually matters. In a game, again, in adverse conditions, that's an equalizer. Um, And he came through with a a great game plan. And there were concerns for us on the defensive side of the ball that I wonder how much is related to the conditions and how much is it that if a team just sits there and decides that we're just going to run the ball downhill on us, is our defense capable of stopping that? Yeah, there's no doubt. And and I think, like you said, Pat Fitzgerald's not a bad coach. Mm-hmm. Just because his team was is one and seven going into the game, it doesn't mean he's he has he's gonna have a bad plan. Yeah. And you look at what they did on offense. I mean, the first drive or two, Wildcat, all this crazy stuff in the run game, got Ohio State to kind of misfit a couple plays and they scored a touchdown. They ran the ball on him, right? But what happened after that? Yeah. Jim Knowles got it coached up, he adjusted and he shut it down yeah. for the next three quarters. And so I, I look at that as a win for Ohio yeah. State because they they had to go against some something a little more bizarre. And it, it got them a little bit, but they, they corrected it and they shut it down. Yeah. And the offensive side of the ball, I think th- this is the negative part of the show, right? Pat Fitzgerald and his defensive coordinator had a great plan because you, you evaluate Ohio State in that weather, right? Couldn't throw the ball deep, so they sat on a lot of routes. The receivers were dropping the balls, so then they resorted to running the ball. Ohio State has two glaring issues, and they have all season. One, C.J. Stroud won't run. and two. Their perimeter blocking is awful, so they can't run a lot of perimeter runs. So you as a defensive coordinator, what are you going to do? You're going to crash everybody inside. You're going to load the box, and you're going to take away the interior run. And Ohio State really only has two answers, right? Have CJ pull it, which he did. That's how they won the game, right? Or run perimeter runs, which they did not do because they still don't have confidence in those receivers blocking. So that's going to be the answer all year. If, If your only options are to run it in between the tackles and throw the ball, Teams are going to try to take those two things away, and you're going to have to make them pay for it. And fortunately, CJ did. He pulled it a couple times, had some huge runs, and they just need to get the perimeter game going a little bit, those RPO screens. I mean, they, they threw one where they had two-on-one, 
and the corner went, ran right through Marvin Harrison Jr. and tackled it for a three-yard loss. And it's like, well, if we can't do that, they're going to keep stopping the interior run. Like, that's just, by scheme, that's what they're doing, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think these games are the games that when you can win the game 21-7 in, in these games that you could easily lose, um, that's what, what you alluded to is really what's been my strongest takeaway from the improvement from last season and the last couple of seasons um, under coach day to now is that we are making in-game adjustments on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball much, much more quickly. And I still think, you know, obviously Ryan always goes into games having a very structured game plan that he, he wants to, wants to stick to, but I'm seeing more and more when things aren't working, aren't going right. The ability to say, okay, I'm going to humble what I, my ego, and I'm just going to make the adjustments that are necessary for us to win. And that's a really great takeaway for a fan to understand as a coach. Obviously, he came into a situation as a new head coach, never have, having coached at this level, at this level of program. But what we're seeing is a guy that is rapidly, his learning curve is very rapid in terms of how he's improving in all the areas that he's constantly being criticized for. Yeah. And you know, I mean, yeah, I agree. This kind of brings up something I wanted to wanted to mention about the new class of college football players. Uh when you look at these hyper elite athletes that have been conditioned in these programs from when they were like, you know, 9, I think there's an amazing amount of athleticism, talent and perspective on the game that you get out of those kids like a CJ Stroud. But there's this element of just like general just toughness, grittiness, you know, wanting to get down in the dirt and fight it out that you just don't get from players like that because they're playing in such pristine conditions at the academies that they're at or inside or, you know, however they're raised. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, I really felt like watching the Northwestern team that these were a bunch of dudes that like really represented like the true spirit of the sport of football. And it made me really consider that Maybe our team, you know, despite the rankings of draft classes and stuff, maybe what's happening right now is teams that are really drafting this elite talent are losing some of that that raw energy that, you know, it is really like what backyard football comes from. There's no doubt. And it it it, it comes from kind of the celebrity that recruiting has has created, right? Like these kids are prima donnas they they don't have to work very hard in high school because they're so talented and so highly sought after and with with depend dependent on the state like some of these states you could just up and leave and go to a different high school so if they get coached too hard they're just going to be like screw this place i'm out i'm gonna go over here so it's just there, there's not a lot of tough coaching in in prep football like high school football it just doesn't exist much and you know there's there's some programs that are phenomenal but they, they get to college, and, and to your point, you take a kid from Southern California, the most beautiful place in the country, weather-wise, and you put them in some adverse climates, some, some adverse situations. It's going to take time to develop the proper you know, response to that. And I think the coolest thing that we saw is we went from saying, I don't know if CJ's capable of that response, to watching him have that response. Yep. And I think that's massive for the stretch they're about I mean, to go down. 76 yards rushing too is, is, is a real number, you know, it's, yeah. I'm not sure if it's the most he's rushed for, but I'm pretty sure it is. 
um, in a game. Oh yeah. <laughs> but CJ is like a legit athlete too. Yeah, like that, he's actually fast. That, oh, yeah. That's the reason that Zach's been scratching his head for two seasons, wondering what's going on <laughs> on every one of his, <laughs> every one of his shows is, is that, but what it does more so than anything is now when opposing defensive coordinators, as we move towards the college football playoff, as they're evaluating and making a game plan, they actually have to scheme for this. Um, and absolutely and that's what's really valuable is if if you have with our offense with the skill position players we have the running backs that we have we had the the fear of a quarterback that's going to take off and run run as well and you've got to start spying him and doing things like that it makes our offense even more dangerous and i think that's kind of the reason you've been frustrated so much zach is just like even if it's not something you want to do all the time, just make teams respect the fact that you are willing to do it if necessary. No doubt. No doubt. And, and you look at, and nobody's asking CJ to be Braxton Miller. Like he doesn't need to instill the fear of God in defensive coordinators, but he, had, he I think his best play of the day was not his long run as impressive as that was, but it was, he got flushed out of the pocket one time. And instead of what he, what he has done in his entire career is sit there and wait for someone to come open and either force the ball or throw it away. And he made the decision, scrambling to, to his left. He said, I need to just get some yards. And he gained five yards, went out of bounds. Nobody touched him, but it keeps him on schedule. So now it's second and five instead of second and 10. And it's like, nobody needs the 70-yard runs. They're great if they happen. Woohoo! But it's that five, four-yard run. Just get us a couple yards. Get us closer to the first down. That's what we've been looking for, and that's what he showed on Saturday. Yeah, and I think it was cool. I mean, he definitely looked a little tentative in terms of, should I get these yards? Should I throw it? You know, still, still a couple moments where he was looking downfield. You know, a little longer than you know someone who would be more more conditioned to be a dual threat quarterback. But I think at the end of the day, when you go up against a team, especially a team like you know like Michigan, that's a very very talented team this year. If you don't create that threat, and we already have this issue this year that you know we've called out multiple episodes now of our receivers not being consistent about getting open. You know, this is one of the best ways to get your receivers open is to make sure that they can't cheat and lag back and play a heavy zone and really block up all your passing lanes. And, you know, in that in that realm, I think CJ gave people to your guys's point, a threat that Ohio State hasn't shown all season that if he's able to develop it a little bit more in the next couple of games where instead of throwing it away or taking the sack, he does choose one or two more opportunities to to go get five yards or to go get. 10 yards, it's going to put defenses a lot more on the edge. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's just, it, it opened up a whole new world for them offensively. Yeah, it's it's just one of those games. It's a tough game. We figured out how to win, um, and we saw what we needed to do. Things aren't always going to go the way that you want. Um, and you're right, Partha, as a fan, um, seeing the first half, you're very nervous going into the second half of that game. Um, but to stay, I, I pretty much feel like coming out of that game at, at, with the scoreline we did was actually a huge win, and, and it solidified, if anything, that we, we have a toughness factor um, that other teams may lack uh, in this scenario. We're not just a high-flying offense who can always just operate when we're, we're running up the score on people, but we can handle an adverse situation, come through, make the corrections that we need and win in game versus just letting it go downhill. Um, and I think it's that, it, go ahead. That's, I was just going to say that's, that's such a great point. I think it, 
as a fan, like the coolest thing is to watch your team get tougher as the course as the course of the season progresses and to watch actual change happen in the players themselves and how they conduct themselves on the field. And, you know, I think it's really satisfying to watch people really slug it out and have to have to resort to, you know, methods of winning that they've never had to resort to before just shows you that they want it that badly. And, you know, as a fan, like it lets me feel better going into the end of the season because this Michigan team looks really good. It's going to be a, a big challenge for us. And, you know, we saw um, a few other games. I won't jump ahead. A few other games that were like very, very defining moments this weekend from a toughness perspective that the rest of the league, uh, the rest of the, uh, you know, college football landscape is is showing and proving. And so I just think like to your point, V, it was it was really great just to just to know that we have that gear that we can get to if we need to. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think, you know, reflecting on what you were saying about toughness, especially after this weekend's games, and specifically who I think is kind of the team that we all have to look. Every team that's trying to win the college playoff now has to look to and say, that's the team, the gold standard, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and I think, you know, we that. <laughs> age old phrase defense wins championships as critical as everyone's about you know uh spencer bennett and his the 26 year old qb <laughs> i think of necessary roughness every time i see i see him <laughs> on the field um they have enough on the offensive side of the bo- the ball but that's not what this team is about it's this team is about answering the call regardless of who they face Kirby Smart has entered the has entered the conversation as college football elite. This is a Tennessee team coming into this game that looked completely unstoppable. Yeah, you could, you might be able to. We thought Georgia might be able to contain them, but they literally stopped this team's freight train of an offense cold. And then mm-hmm. they did just enough offensively. It reminded me of the the O two Ohio State team. Not great offensively, but they did enough on the offensive side of the ball. They made the plays that they needed to make early in the game to build a cushion. And then from then on, they just controlled the game and made sure they didn't lose it. It's tough to play from behind against Georgia and that defense. I mean, it just is. And they, they kind of hit a perfect storm. I mean, they, they scored a touchdown, then they end up getting a 75-yard punt that rolls out at the half-yard line. And it you know, they get great field position, score on a double move, and all of a sudden you're playing behind Georgia. And against that defense, that's that's a quick way to lose. Yeah. <laughs> um, you really gotta you, you gotta come out firing. And they, they did an unbelievable job of of getting after Hendon Hooker and and pressuring the hell out of him. And they took him completely off his game because it you know, when you watch it on TV, it looked like they just took this great receiver group, right? This receiver group that's in the conversation with Ohio State's, and it looked like they just strapped them. Yeah. And just locked them down. Then you watch the film and you're like, there was a there was a guy popping open here and there, but Stetson Bennett was, or I'm sorry, Hendon Hooker was so shook and, and and running for his life that he just couldn't, he couldn't get there. He couldn't get to the right guy, the right mismatch. And I, I was thoroughly impressed with Georgia. Dude, Zach, I was, I also felt like super bad uh, for you watching. I, I know you're, you're obviously a Tennessee alum uh, watching, watching Tennessee this weekend. I saw the story of Stetson Bennett's phone number being leaked the night before the game. And he said in the presser that he had had like 700 phone calls from Tennessee fans. When he scored the touchdown and put his hands up, like call me right at the beginning of the game. At that point, I just turned off the TV because I was like, Georgia's won this game. Like it's a home game, the kind of momentum when you can get and, and 
what we, we haven't mentioned is the number of penalties that Tennessee dealt with, especially in the first part of the game, from a very engaged Georgia crowd. So I think this is it's a team win. It's a, it's a crowd win. It's a fan base win. And it's one of those situations that, I mean, we saw Tennessee benefit from the same situation against Alabama just a couple weeks ago. Georgia just did it right back to them. I think that's like, that's what you love about football is that the home and the way really makes a huge, huge difference. And these narratives of phone number got leaked, like those are the narratives that happen on the way to a championship. That's the reality of it. There's no doubt. And you know what? It's, it's funny you brought it up because when I was at Florida, with Tim Tebow, we played a night game at LSU, and they did the same thing. He did the same thing. He scrambled, scored a touchdown, looked at, looked at, the, looked at the student section and gave him one of these, and he ended up going off. And LSU actually won the game. That was the year Tebow won the Heisman. And just seeing Stetson Bennett do that reminded me so much of the exact same scenario that happened to Tebow in that massive night game at Death Valley. Wow. <laughs> he's the definition of a gamer, right? That's, that's just whatever happens, he's set as a Georgia football hero for life. Um, man, I think oh, yeah. I think a football hero for life. Like I'm not a Georgia fan. I have a lot of respect <laughs> for Bennett, man. Like he's he fucking brings it every game. Yeah, not he, every game, but most he, games. <laughs> in big games, in big games, <laughs> in big games, he tends to do what he needs to do. And then you know, also it's it's this is Kirby Smart. This is also about Kirby Smart as a leader of a program. He went into a Georgia program. They had the the. <laughs> kind of reputation of being really good but always choking um and within his coaching regime it's changed that and there's been several really really good coaches um but what he did also in in this scenario against an offense um that was making noise that gave Nick Saban and his team fits regardless of personnel to come through um give this man his flowers i i feel like you have to give the man his flowers as as one of the top two or three coaches in college football. Yeah. yeah, I know. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to. I want to point us to another game that um, I got to watch. Actually, the entirety of it was the LSU Alabama game. This game was nuts all the way down to the wire. And uh, you know, when Brian Kelly made the move to LSU, I was part of the group that was just like, "Man, that was kind of lame for him to leave his leave his team like that, come down to LSU." And then seeing this kid, Jaden Daniels, seeing the kind of passion they have at LSU for football, seeing the way that they carried the game and, you know, also just seeing the personality of this kid. Like it may be it made me a really, really big fan of this LSU team, this LSU program. It was really cool to see them get there. And then when the coach decides at the end of overtime one to go for two and just, hey, we're going to we're going to win this thing right now. And that's going to be that I'm going to put it on my team, put it on my players like there's there's nothing that signifies the closeness of a program and the closeness of the players to the coach than, than a move like that. There's no doubt. I mean, just, it was the, the, the impact of that game. I don't know if we can even rational or even, even wrap our brains around it right now. I mean, for Brian Kelly to come into LSU beat Nick Saban year one as you know, as long as he doesn't screw it up against, and he doesn't have a, a tough stretch ahead of him, he's going to go to Atlanta in the SEC championship game in year one. And, God only knows if he can find a way to beat Georgia, there's no way you can leave LSU out after beating uh, Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game, especially how Georgia beat Oregon and beat Tennessee. Like LSU would get in. If he does that in year one, that'll be monstrous for recruiting this next offseason. Yeah, and <laughs> absolutely. 
I mean, and this is what I wanted to buckle down in this game. Like, I just really, really enjoyed watching this game because I thought it sucks that there had to be a loser, right, in this yeah. game. Because literally from yeah. the players down to the coaches, this was a master class, you know, in, in what you're supposed to do in big games on both sides of the ball. Nick Saban came up a, a two-point conversion short, but there was like no loser in this game, right? Like if it shouldn't impact either team's rankings, if it should improve their ranking, I wish it could because <laughs> I watched the game. I was just like, after a game of disappointing, you know, watching the Ohio State game, despite <laughs> it being a win, it would be a little disappointing. Then watching Tennessee, Georgia being a letdown to get this game at the end of the college football day was just like, okay, we're all right. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> right. That's exactly like honest story. I was watching, I watched Ohio state game i had to drop off via the airport like halfway through so i was watching uh, listening when i drove there and back and then watched the end and then switched over to georgia tennessee and after the that first touchdown when i told you i turned it off i was like this isn't even going to be a game i was keeping an eye on the score but obviously it wasn't close i just started watching anime i was just like i i can't even with this college football day but i waited till the lsu alabama (laughs) game because i was like this is my final shot to have that feeling I, i know what you're talking about v there's this thing with football where you get this like feeling where it just a game like LSU Alabama fills you with pride for both schools. It fills you with this sense of joy. Like there's something special about what we saw Saturday night there that uh, I, I can't put my finger on it, but that's, that's why I watched this. That's why I watched the game. It was electric. It was, it was electric. I mean, in that, that atmosphere, I mean, both those atmospheres, the Georgia atmosphere, the the LSU atmosphere. I mean, it's just it was insanity. It was passion. It was and just getting that that upset win in that you know exciting and thrilling of a fashion. Right, one to have the balls to call that. Yeah. Like, no, nope, we're going for two. We're going to win or lose on this play. I mean, mad respect to Brian Kelly for making that call because it's so much easier. Just kick it. We'll try to win it yeah. next overtime. Yeah. Right. It's but it, it just it was a fun game. Yeah, and he could he could tell. I think that kid, Jaden Daniels, is the truth, man. The way he played. I like the way he runs, too. It's like his scrambling. And I, maybe you can shed some light on this act. There was something about the way he moved his body that gave me a sense that he's not going to be a very injury-prone player. He was very conscious about how he was moving, very coordinated. And it felt like he had this athletic maturity, if you will, like a sense of his body that yeah. is far beyond what it should be as a freshman. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, he's. Uh... He he knows he's he's a great athlete. I mean, I watched him at Arizona State um, before he went to LSU, and he was he was that way. I've always thought he was a dynamic player. And he, to your point, he he does a great job of not taking direct hits, yeah. you know, as much as he can because he's a good athlete because he knows how to you know avoid those those injury prone those those high impact contacts. But uh, I really, I mean, Alabama got out coached again. Their second loss of the year. Both years they got out coached. I mean, you watch what LSU did on defense. To, to stifle Bryce Young. I mean, they, they had that one linebacker that's a freaky athlete. He spied him all game. He stood there three yards off the ball, and his only job was to spy Bryce Young. And if he takes off the run, you go hunt him down. And you just sit there and watch Bama's defense. You're like, damn, guys, you might want to try that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's working for them. Maybe it'll work for you. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Again, you know, we've had this conversation multiple times this year. Regardless of whether or not you like Brian Kelly, the person, if you, it's pretty much slanderous to say that he's not a good football coach or a great football coach. Um, everywhere he's gone, Cincinnati, what he did to get that 
that program going, then going to Notre Dame, performing admirably well there. And now at LSU, I mean, I think to come in and beat Nick Saban year one says says quite a bit. And, you know, we'll see where, where, where this goes, but the, he's definitely made um, the SEC more, more competitive um, and, and again, has reiterated the case that the SEC is the class of college football. You n- now have four really, really good coaches at Tennessee, at LSU, at Alabama, and at Georgia. Um, and then you go down the line, you have pretty decent, decent coaches. I mean, I, even as a Big Ten and Ohio State supporter and an ESPN kind of hater, uh, I have to, <laughs> <laughs> I have to give it to the SEC. They're, they are the class of college football right now. Yeah, there's oh no doubt. Yeah, th- absolutely. Um, last thing to mention, we saw the privilege of Notre Dame just destroying Clemson. That was so satisfying. Uh, Zach called you know, it. Zach called yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we all you heard it here first you on that. Yeah, you did hear it here first. Or <laughs> your guys' reactions to that because it was it it was pretty early in the game where it felt like Clemson wasn't going to find their way back in. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it it was just. One, you, you loved it for Marcus Freeman just because he needed he needed to turn that program around and build some momentum in year one after lo- you know everyone knew he's going to lose to Ohio State, but to lose to Marshall after that um, was was just that, that was a huge blow to his program's start. And to see him bounce back is a great thing for college football and for Notre Dame, obviously. And I think it just further kind of exposed the issues that Dabo Sweeney has. Right, he. He lost both both coordinators. Both were big time coordinators. Like they they were responsible for a lot of the success that Clemson had. And instead of replacing them with big time coordinators, he went he went the the familiar face and he promoted guys from within. And it's just it's been awful. And he clearly made a mistake. Now we'll see if he has the leadership to right the ship, mm-hmm. right to correct those mistakes, make the changes that are needed. Like we've we've seen Ryan Day do, we see Nick Saban do all the time. Like we'll see if Dabo can actually make the right call to try to write that program back on the right course, and I'm not confident that he'll do it. Yeah, I mean the game was to, to kind of echo your sentiment. One, I think it was big for Mar- Marcus Freeman and the program, and Notre Dame um, to get a signature win like this. How signature it was beyond the ranking, I'm not sure because we've watched Clemson all year and we've agreed that they. They're not a very good football team. They're good. They may be good or above average, but they're not a good or excellent football team uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But my other takeaway from this, and whenever I see games like this, my takeaway is I wish I could speak to these Ohio State fans who get so pissed off so easily when we lose a game or we don't make the college football playoff because it's really, really hard to maintain consistent excellence. You're not going to win the national championship every year, but what we're seeing from Clemson is how quickly you can you can go from great to kind of average. Um, and we haven't had to face that as Ohio State fans as a program during any of the coaching transitions. Yeah, we had that rough patch when Luke had to take over, but half of our players were suspended as well. So, But beyond that, when you look at Trestle, you look at Urban, then now you look at Ryan Day, we don't have a whole lot to complain about compared to the, 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 the rest of college football. Yeah. No, we, we, Ohio State fans definitely don't, but I think it is relevant to, to look at certain programs that have achieved a high level of success consistently and, and realize that you're one – bad move on a coaching higher front 
from going back to the John Cooper era, right? For, yeah. you, we've seen a number of programs from Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer at Florida to all of a sudden they made a, a two bad coaching hires and you're like, where is Florida? Where have they been? Like, they're just gone. Yeah. Um, it, it, it can happen. And, you know, that's really a testament to Gene Smith and the leadership at Ohio State and the decisions that have been made to keep Ohio State where they are. But college football's fickle, man. You can go back to the oblivion abyss at any moment if with just a couple bad decisions in the, in the leadership role yeah you know kind of uh, on the flip side of that that type of slide i have been impressed with uh michigan's performance this year and i hate to say that um i, th- I still think we have an edge as a team overall especially with the home game this year uh, but that really seems to be boiling to be the deciding game for which big 10 team makes it into the playoff unless we see some craziness and and you know, regardless of that, both teams would make it in. Um, what what do you feel like, Zach and, and V as well, like what do you feel like we as a program could be doing to prepare ourselves for, you know, the, the real threat that Michigan faces for our season? I think they just need to keep coaching them, keep developing them. All the weaknesses that, that we've talked about, all the things that they need to improve on, they got to really, they got to work hard to improve those things and they got to get healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I said it on my show today, and Ohio State fans aren't going to like it, but I think they need Jackson Smith and Jigba to win the game. I think without him, they have a real chance of losing that football game, and he needs to get healthy. And I know they're doing everything they can to get him healthy, but I think that that could prove to be the difference maker because we watched a couple snaps. Northwestern made a decision. They said, you know what? We're going to put a safety over top of Marvin Harrison Jr. And all of a sudden, he's not an option now. He's getting bracketed, double covered, whatever you want to call it. The guy opposite him has to win, and Julian Fleming didn't So against Northwestern. So to think that he will against Michigan is uh, it's probably not the smartest <laughs> thing to assume. And so, so I'd say we need JSN back to, to, to keep a dual threat receiving side on this offense. And, and if he can come back healthy, the right guard, Matt Jones, looks like he's injured. I don't know that he is, has been officially announced as injured, but when I watch him play, he damn sure looks injured. So he needs to get healthy. I think I think all that needs to happen. And then ultimately, neither team has played a team yeah. like yeah. The, their opponent in that game. I mean, this is going to be the first time we see these teams against a playoff caliber team. Yeah. 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 My takeaway, my my stance is kind of this. I watched the Rutgers game closely, and I'm sitting here and I'm saying, what if Shiano had Ohio State level talent in that game? Because from a scheme standpoint, he figured them out. Very, very quickly as very, well. Very quickly. So this is really going to be an opportunity for Jim Knowles to really earn his hay, right? He's a big name higher, mm-hmm. but he can look at the blueprint that Shiano said, because if Shiano had Ohio State-level talent on both sides of the ball, I think Rutgers wins that game. And that's just what my takeaway f- from watching it was. Obviously, Michigan pulled away and won the game, um, and it was a pretty handy win, but watching it, I was just like, Okay, there's 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 something here in terms of how, what is the formula to stop this team, and it's obvious, Zach. You've pointed this out. Making J.J. McCarthy have to throw the ball um, is is mm-hmm. is one of those things, but also, you know, there is a way to kind of stifle this run game a little bit um, as a result of that. And I think that's what I, my takeaway was: is I'm not sure how good. Michigan actually is yet. Obviously, they're going to play us competitively. They beat us last year. Um, but it seems like from everything that I've seen that this is a game 
that Ohio State should be favored in. Um, and as long as we execute on both sides of the ball, we should win. Yeah, it, it, they're both both. Here's the good, the good and bad news, right? Neither team has played their best game of football yeah. yet, right? Like when you watch Michigan and some of the struggles they've had, and and kind of to play devil's advocate, there's probably been three games this year that if if you know if Iowa or Northwestern had Michigan's talent, they win the yeah. game against yeah, Ohio true. State. Right. So true. I think right. True. Well, both you know both teams kind of haven't played their best ball yet, and and you know it's going to happen in that game. So um, I, I I agree with you. I think Ohio State has the edge here, being it, it is at home, being there's a little bit of a revenge factor, and as talented as they are, um, I, I I I agree they have an edge. But but I think we're gonna we're gonna watch something on that on that Saturday after Thanksgiving, and it's going to be a, a maximized version of both teams, and they're going to be different beasts than either team has seen. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I also, um, I also like really feel that a home game for us is is what we need to put this rivalry back on course. It's obviously fantastic to have a good rival first and foremost. Um, but I also wanted to shout out Greg Schiano because he did figure us out too. They had us, they had us struggling the first half of that game. So I mean, you know, Rutgers is a, they don't have the talent, but they do have like some brains over there. They're pretty smart about what they're playing. Yeah, he's a good he, he he's a smart coach yeah i felt yeah. like i felt like we had the same struggles that you're calling out v in our game against them yeah yeah um it was just funny because michigan fans were like writing us for that game on twitter and on social media and then oh really <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> <laughs> to see them struggle against Rutgers was was kind of fun um yeah. but i also think we you know we have to highlight this again is the other takeaway from that Rutgers game is that michigan has to play illinois the week before they play us and yeah you know what happens if that game doesn't go michigan's way because based on what i'm seeing in terms of what michigan likes to do offensively and you're going up against a defense that knows and at least on paper and, and from the data can stop that what are you going to do in that game but at the same time, we just saw Illinois drop to Michigan State. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're mean, they're as spotty as anyone else. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they might not even show up at all for that game. That's you know true. what I'm saying? That's true. But yeah. it, it's an interesting game going into our game. Is all I'm yeah. all I'm saying is because yes, they did lose to Michigan State, but Illinois, you know, they're like Zach made the perfect cop to Wisconsin. Wisconsin can lose to anybody but they could beat anybody, right? And that's <laughs> that's the reality. If their running game isn't going, they're never going to be like dynamic offensively. But they're well coached, they're disciplined, and in a defensive battle they can win. You know, and they can lose to Michigan State. Yep. You know, I I agree. Losing to Michigan State is is something Wisconsin in their prime would do as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. And I think when you watch Illinois their, their style of football, I mean, they're, they're an extremely physical, a st- extremely aggressive defense. They tackle well, they block well, and they run the ball 60 times a game. And so they might not be able to beat Michigan on that Saturday, but the residual effect of playing such a tough game, might they might beat Michigan physically in the Ohio the State week. game <laughs> just because of the, the impact. Because Ohio State plays Maryland. It's like basketball on grass. Like it's, it, You know, you're going to learn some things, but Ohio State's going to They'll feel pretty good coming out of that yeah. game. You play Illinois, that's smash mouth football. Yeah. That's a, is actually 
you know, gamer reference for you guys, but it's like in Halo, if you throw a grenade right before you die. <laughs> I used to thrive on right. that, man, back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to call out um, this matchup that's happening this weekend. Alabama, obviously, a two-loss team now. They're playing Ole Miss. Um, is Ole Miss a good team, man? Um, I mean, they're they're a decent team. I don't think they're a good team. Their defense is they don't tackle well. Um, but to, that being said, Lane Kiffin's never really had a great defense. This, but might be one of his better ones. And so, I I'm not ready to say that Ole Miss can win the game, but I do have something to throw at you guys because you are businessmen and you know sports people. Is what is the likelihood that we see Bryce Young play another snap for Alabama? And should he? I think a hundred percent. They're definitely going to play him. Should he? Probably not. For his, well, I mean, this kid is projected as the fifth overall pick. Nothing to play for anymore. He's looking at thirty-three million dollars in the face as the number five overall pick. Yeah, I think. I think with the way Why people feel injuries these days, and I think with his level of game and charisma, if he plays his heart out, has a really great time, and is a great leader, regardless of how the season finishes. He cemented his role as an amazing NFL quarterback. Well, I think I think from a business standpoint, you're 100 percent right, Zach. Don't right. play. But the reality is, you are dealing with a a kid that loves the game of football, right? And it clearly loves it. And it also is going to be a testament to the program and the value that he has and the relationship he has with Nick Saban. Because if he wasn't at Alabama and say he was at Georgia Tech. Um, there's no reason for him to continue to play. Yeah, right? he'd just be chilling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but a- again, this is this is very important, a very important signal signal for the continuity of this Alabama program um, for him not to wave the white flag. So we'll see what Saban's magic is, and maybe he sits out the bowl game if they don't make a competitive bowl game. But um, if he does sit out the rest of the season. Um, it could be impactful to the Alabama program moving forward. That's that's the concern on the business yeah. side of it. Yeah, and you know, sure. I would I wouldn't say Alabama's out of the playoff either. I know they're two loss. If they have a convincing rest this season, if we see LSU drop one, if we see Georgia drop one, and you know, you have TCU really in the spread. TCU. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys about this as well. I was playing Texas this week. So I think it's their highest ranked opponent on the rest of their schedule. Um, if they finish undefeated, I feel like they've, they're definitely in the playoffs. If they finish one loss, you know, I think there's a question mark that forms there. And we've always talked about like, you know, how is this, how is this going to play out? But it could be very feasible that um, Alabama either finds their way in with some chaos to the end of the year. Or is just really freaking close, and for that reason, like I don't think Saban's Saban's gonna gonna chill. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I there's always a chance, right? There's always a chance. I mean, LSU would have to lose to lose to a bad Arkansas team or a bad Texas A and M team, but even then, they hold the tiebreaker over Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would need Ole Miss. They uh, there's maybe a wild scenario. I think they would have to drop both games. Alabama to make it to the SEC championship game but there's always a chance and I don't think he's going to sit out but I think it just is an interesting thing to think about like nowadays with his I mean as much as that kid's done right won a Heisman trophy like played his balls off just outstanding career and he's going to be a top five pick 
Like, at, at what point do you sit out? Like, is it just the bowl game? Or is it now like, oh, we're not even going to make the SEC championship game. Why would I keep playing now? Yeah, and there's also a football argument to be made here. Whoever's going to be replacing him, why not get him on the field and get him a chance to play? You're, right. protecting, the, you're protecting your player's draft stock as well as preparing for the future without him, right? So there's definitely a valuable argument here. And it comes down to what the kid wants to do. If, if he wants to continue yeah. to play, then... Saban's got to let him play, but if he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, but I think to your point, Partha, what's becoming very interesting here to me is I don't think there's anyone that's happier with what happened this weekend than the Oregon Ducks, Um, because how do you put a two loss anybody in the SEC now over a one loss Oregon to Georgia, right? Because I guess it may come down to Tennessee's one, but they're also going to be a conference champion. Champion. It could come down to one loss Tennessee versus one loss Oregon to the same opponent. And both games, Georgia kind of won pretty handily. Obviously, the Oregon game was much more one-sided um, than 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 the Tennessee game. But ha- Oregon's case for getting in is really really strong. Yeah, yeah I agree. Can we talk about TCU's case as well? I mean, I don't think they've demonstrated the kind of dominance you would typically see of an undefeated team, but they have the record to prove it, and you know they could very likely finish the season undefeated. Yeah, I mean, this is the game. I mean, obviously, outside of a Big 12 championship game, I mean, they have Baylor and, and Iowa State. I guess Baylor's not terrible, yeah. but this is the game on the road at in Austin, Texas against Quinn Ewers, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, this is the game that they have to win. And I think if they win it, they're in the playoffs. I don't see them losing those either of those last two games. And I, th- I don't see them losing the Big 12 championship game. So this is really a one game season for them to make it to, you know, a, that, that, that space of rare air. Um, and I think what's, what's lost in the, the TCU conversation is because it's TCU, right? It's hard to really get into that. Like, <laughs> TCU playoff team, come on, man. Um, but Sonny Dykes has done an outstanding job. He was great at SMU. He's flipped the, the TCU program into a competitive national brand. And his offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley's, Lincoln Riley's little brother, is doing phenomenal things. This quarterback, Max Duggins, that they have has been unbelievable. I mean, he's literally, it's CJ Stroud, um, Hendon Hooker, uh, Drake May at North Carolina, and him. Those are the top four most productive quarterbacks wow. in college football. And who, like, who's ever heard of Max Duggins? I don't even know who that. I've never heard of him until this year. <laughs> and it wasn't until like week six. This was this was your um, dark horse call much earlier in the season, Zach. You were you were calling out, "Hey, TC is a team to watch. They've got some great talent." Yeah, I I am really genuinely impressed. I I wanted to ask, didn't they make one of the early playoffs? I remember them being very much in the conversation, like fourteen they- or so. Well, they got they got left, they got out, left out when we got That's in over them, was. and that was a big deal. And then they got blown out in their bowl game, and it was like, shut up, go back to Texas. <laughs> yeah, what's going to get really crazy is if TCU loses. The easiest scenario is TCU wins out; they get that spot. But if TCU loses to Texas, you know you've got whoever wins the Big Ten. You've got Georgia. It looks like is guaranteed now to get in, um, even if they. I don't know if they maybe if they lose the SEC championship, they're left out. But I doubt that Georgia um, at one loss gets left out over any of these teams. Right. Because they beat Oregon. They beat Tennessee head to head. Um, So I pretty much am saying those two slots are kind of locked in. 
Um, Georgia's still going to have a tough SEC championship. Yeah, but I'm saying even if they, is. yeah, even if they lose it, right? And even if they lose that, you think even if in. they lose that, I feel like they have the resume to say we're the best one loss team in the country um, mm. because there's not a there's well, not an undefe- and because because they've beaten and they've beaten two of them, right? Yeah. Oregon and Tennessee will be the other, you know, yeah. and Clemson, and then if TCU loses, like they've beaten two of the one loss teams, so yeah. you have to put them in over them, yeah, right? right. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying it gets interesting if TCU loses. I think if TCU loses, Georgia yeah. and the Big Ten winner are guaranteed spots, but then the rest of this is chaos. How do you determine who gets in to those other spots? I mean, it would seem like Oregon will get a spot if they win the Pac-12 uh, championship because they've performed really, really well since that loss. But when you, he, you have a one-loss Michigan, potentially, a one-loss Tennessee. I like uh, that. <laughs> You know, how do but you? That, that's the that's the conundrum too, is because a one loss Michigan doesn't play in the Big Ten championship because yeah. we're on the same side, right? Why I don't know why they did that, but for whatever reason, because they probably didn't want two games of that match. It's about the TV. Year. It's about the TV setup. Yeah. <laughs> so for whatever reason they did that, the loser of that game doesn't have a chance to make their case again against a good team, essentially. So I think because of that construction it's going to be difficult with the amount of good teams there are this year for there to be more than one Big Ten team in. It's, it, it's got to be the winner of Ohio State-Michigan that makes it in. It'll probably be Tennessee in that fourth yeah. spot because their one loss is stitch. Yeah, because Tennessee, Tennessee has the same argument that Ohio State and Michigan have, right? Like, clearly right now, I mean, they, they beat the crap out of LSU at LSU. Yeah. So clearly right now, Tennessee's the second best team in the sec but unfortunately they don't get to go to atlanta because they're in the same side as georgia a lot like ohio state michigan i think that's the interesting conversation right is let's say georgia wins out ohio state or michigan is undefeated those are the top two seeds but now if if everyone else has one loss where do you rank the ohio state michigan loser tennessee oregon tcu clemson yes yeah and and do you put I mean that's the group, yeah. right? Do you jump do you jump jump it and essentially have one SEC team in Georgia, one Big Ten team in probably Ohio State, one Big Twelve team in TCU, and then a Pac twelve team in, you know, probably Oregon. You know what I'm saying? Like is that how you I, do you just diversify oh, yeah. it or do you focus more I think, in on I think here's yeah. so here's what I think happens. Yeah. I think if that scenario plays out, which is probably the most likely yeah. scenario, yeah. if you ask me. Yeah. I think that you have Georgia one, Ohio State two. I think Tennessee is in, and then it's a conversation of Oregon versus Michigan. I think TCU's out, Clemson's wow. out, everyone right. else is out. It is Oregon or Michigan. Which one are you taking? Unless it's an undefeated TCU. Yeah, no, this scenario oh, is yeah. with if a TCU, TCU loss. With the one yeah. loss TCU. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you get an undefeated TCU in the same scenario, yeah, now right. it's an. E- I mean, it's it's not an easy choice, but now you're down to Tennessee or Michigan or Oregon, yeah, right? And and out be, of those, for that out of those spot. three, which ten- one do you think it's the? I think I think it should be, ten- it Tennessee. Should be Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, they beat Alabama they and they they lost to the number one team in the yeah, country be- on the road, beat right? And, yeah, and they beat LSU. Even if yeah, Oregon, Oregon's only loss is to to Georgia, is it not? Hmm. So wouldn't Oregon have the same case to strength make as Tennessee? Of schedule, the rest of the strength of schedule is clearly in Tennessee. You favor. think that would play out? Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you, but I was just curious what you guys would think. Because I, 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 like, I like Oregon this year. I agree in strength of schedule, but this is the reason for that, that expanded well, playoff. Well, the question that's going to be in whoever the decision maker's head is, is 
is Oregon just beating up on it on a soft schedule because the one time that they had to go play a real team, they got, they got wrecked. They got wrecked. Yeah. It was also and first I think game what, of the season too, which is the counter argument to that. Yeah. Yeah. That is. I, I think what'll what'll really kill Oregon is I think Notre Dame's gonna beat USC. Yeah. And if Notre Dame beats USC, that'll destroy Oregon. Yes. Yeah. It'll discredit their their um entire conference. The whole conference. Yeah. I mean it'll discredit the whole conference. Yeah. And that would be hilarious. And and the thing <laughs> is, Oregon probably is who who is it who's who are they likely to face in the Pac-12 championship? Is it Utah? Uh, no, I think it, isn't it the I, winner. If I look at the standings, the I believe because USC UCLA. Yeah, I think it's because they don't have divisions, and so let me look it up. I had It'd it be the top a minute two teams. Ago. The Pac-12 right now, you have Utah, UCLA, and USC all with one loss, and Oregon's undefeated. So it could be any of those other three. I know USC and UCLA play, so that that one of them is going to get knocked yeah. out. So you'll have the, the winner of that, and that's all. And U- then UCLA Utah, only has USC, USC left. If USC wins that game, Utah will have beaten USC, so it'll be Utah and Oregon in the in the. Yeah, and U- Utah has to play Oregon. Oh, still, they do the second to last oh, game wow. of the year. The, the USC yeah. UCLA game is one of the games I'm really excited for. Number one, it's happening right down the street, so I might see if I can try and go but it's it's one that i really think could go either way too i don't think the oh, pac-12 yeah. is like clear in terms of who's who's strong there oregon's like a little bit better than everyone else but like not like dynamic yeah 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 i think, I think it'll be interesting i think you the winner of usc ucla is going to get in and then you're going to look at utah and Oregon, and that could become a mess. If Utah beats Oregon now, they both have one loss. Like the Pac-12 could become a nightmare really quick. But the good news is, is if Oregon loses a game, none of it matters to, <laughs> to the, the land, national landscape. It's just, it's just for you guys on the West Coast to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think, I think this is probably one of the most exciting college football seasons in a while with how many teams are genuinely at parity with each other. And it's nice to see a lot of these teams that had fallen off in the last several years have this reemergence now, whether it's to the credit to the portal, credit to NIL, whatever the changes that are happening. Uh, I think we could definitely say college football is getting way more exciting and way more fun to follow year after year. Absolutely. Yeah, exciting. It's it's exciting to to have this much kind of up in the air. We're used to kind of just going through the season and saying, okay, we know Alabama's in, but the fact that Alabama pretty right. much is categorically out of the college football conversation, college football playoff conversation for the first time in a long time just <laughs> makes this so much fun, so much more fun. And Clemson's so much out more of fun for everyone. And Clemson's out of the conversation too pretty much. So, it's been a while. Yeah. There's no yeah. doubt. No more. There's no doubt. I mean, you've always been able to count on those three, right? Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. And then it was always like, all right, is it going to be Ohio State or maybe Oklahoma? Yeah. But those three have been pretty consistent. Yeah. 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 And you still got the orange represented by Tennessee here. So, you know, we didn't lose the color. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, guys, uh, just quickly to touch, we have this game coming up uh, this week against Indiana. Um, What's what's the bounce back from this, Zach? We thought last week was going to be a bounce back. Obviously, weather prohibiting. Um, is this going to be the uh, the bounce back we expected to have last week, where Ohio State really starts to demonstrate all of its weapons? What do you think? What do you think we're in for? Yeah, I mean, it, 
what should have happened this past weekend, I think does happen this weekend. I mean, you're looking at, I don't, I, I don't have, let's pull it up here. I think I, it, there is 13 mile per hour winds. So I, we should be good. We should be able to throw the ball. It's not supposed to rain. So we won't have any slippery gloves. Um, I think what should have happened last weekend happens this weekend. They get a little confidence back. They get a little healthier and Ohio state kind of has an, an easy win. Then they just got to take care of business against Maryland and just gear up arsenal up for the, the, the ensuing beast that needs slain. So it's a 38.5 point favorite on Caesar Sportsbook. That makes me want to go on, like, I don't know if the spread will be that big. Zach, obviously, you're the expert on these matters. What do you think? I'm going bucks by 50. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they cover. I, I, Indiana's not a good football team. I think the defense will. They'll shut down Indiana's offense no problem. I think the only question that you have is, all right, is Ohio State going to struggle to run the ball on Indiana? I mean, they did against Northwestern. Whether or not, you know, whether it's raining, snowing, cold, hot, windy, none of that matters when you're just smashing a guy in the face and trying to run forward, right? right? So I think their toughness is going to be challenged. Their identity is going to be challenged up front, and I think they're really going to come out firing. I know just from the guys I've talked to, these offensive coaches are coaching like they just lost the game. Good. And I, so I think they're going to absolutely explode on Saturday. Good to hear. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that brings us to, to the end of the segment. Zach, as always, you know, great to have you. Excited for a nice batch of games this weekend. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll see how things play, play out as far as the playoff picture goes. But it's, it's getting exciting now that we're in the, we're in the thick of it. Yep, no doubt about it. Awesome. Excited, excited for the, the rest of the season to play out. Um, got a lot to look forward to. Yeah. 